Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here on, uh, well, here we are. We're approaching now late August, and are we having a football season? Looks like it, kind of, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's sort of look, it looks like we're having a football season now, although, and which is, you know, more than we can say for some other conferences out there, boys, right? I mean, it's. I don't know if I smell the grass just yet, but, uh, you know, there's something there, right? UCF is practicing, and they'll continue to practice until someone tells them to stop. Same goes for UCF men's and women's soccer and UCF volleyball, too. It's you know, there, Until someone tells us there's not a season, we are going to assume there will be a season. Probably a fairly safe assumption. We are SB Nation's own for UCF Night Sports. Uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to lead with some UCF stuff, some personnel transactions to talk about. Uh, also, some news regarding the uh, FIU game and the Georgia Tech game, um, at least scheduled as of right now. We're going to wrap by talking about, like, what is the actual feasibility if, this, if things continue to go sideways? Uh, what could spring football actually look like? And we got a, a little glimpse of that from the SWAC, believe it or not, in FCS. So lots to talk about here. But let's first talk about some uh, well, some new faces coming into UCF. How about, uh, how about Josh Heupel here scooping up some transfers, some kids who are local kids who want to be a little bit closer to home in the, in the midst of this pandemic, kind of can't blame him for it, but... Um, news dropped today. This is the most recent stuff. R.J. Harvey, if you follow high school football in Orlando, he's a familiar name, went to Edgewater High School. He was a quarterback. UCF wanted him to play running back when they were recruiting him, but he decided to go to UVA, Virginia, uh, because they uh, said that they would use him as a quarterback. Well, R.J. has decided to enter the transfer portal, and he's told the Orlando Sentinel that he would come to UCF. His father, Robert Harvey Sr., tells the Sentinel that RJ will be a running back for um, UCF. Um, he was a three-star recruit, tw- class of 2019. Um, and he would enter what is what is a good backfield now, um, Murph, but uh, in addition, but, but it's, it's going to be thin after the 2020 season with Otis Anderson and Greg McRae both being seniors. Um, you have, like you mentioned in your article on blackandgoldbanneret.com, you also got Ben Tavius Thompson back there. You got Trillian Coles, uh, Demarius Good as a redshirt freshman, true freshman Johnny Richardson back there. But, you know, take away Otis and Greg and there's not a whole lot going on. So you need a little bit of depth and why not call upon a guy who uh, is a local kid, right? Yeah, I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot of proven depth, right? Like, I think UCF believes in what they've got behind Otis and Greg. Certainly, Bentavious Thompson was a, a breakout of sorts in 2019. Um, you know, but we haven't seen a whole lot of Trillian Coles or Demarius Good to say, you know, what they are. And, and Johnny Richardson is a true freshman. Um, so yeah, I think you're you're sort of uh, like like with all of UCF's uh, transfer uh, transfer pickups this this month. It's really more about the future than it is for 2020. Uh, and in the case of R.J. Harvey, uh, a, a guy who is it's pretty stocky, five foot eight, but when he before he got to UVA, he was clocked at a four four one forty. 
Um, and, you know, and so he's got, you know, speed and UCF's made some, has had some pretty good undersized backs, uh, you know, and, and turn them into something special. Maybe this is the next guy. Um, but you know, he, he basically left UVA in March. Uh, the thought then from Bronco Mendenhall, UVA's coach was that he was going to go to the Juco route. Um, but he did not, uh, you know, in, in July, he actually officially entered the transfer portal and talked to uh, FSU and UCF. And uh, like you said, Jeff, his father who broke the news to the Orlando Sentinel. His father said the reason why he talked to UC, the reason why he's he's going to UCF is because that team, uh, you know, recruited him out of high school. Uh, and there was a relationship established there with Josh Heupel and, and running backs coach Anthony Tucker. And so that was reignited now. And uh, so FSU kind of came late to the party while UCF had, had sort of known about Harvey, you know, Harvey for a while. And that, that is why uh, he's decided to come back, come back to Orlando, his hometown, playing for the hometown team. We'll see, obviously, whether he gets, uh, you know, a year, uh, whether he gets a waiver to play this year, uh, much like, you know, Devon Wilson and, um, you know, the other uh, transfers that UCF has brought in. Um, but it's, it's another, it's interesting to see UCF sort of pilfering the power five as they have this month. Now they've got a guy from Virginia after bringing in a guy from Florida, a guy from Nebraska and a guy from Georgia. Um, you like to see it. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk about Deontay Marks next too, because uh, he's a wide receiver who comes from the Florida Gators originally out of Delan high, a three star uh, you know, it has uh, like, again, like you wrote on the story, um, on the site, you know, he has, he's got a track background as well. Um, and he's coming back too. So uh, what do you think he adds to, to the mix? And I got to give you credit for the DJ Khaled reference too, by the way. Well, I mean, it just, you know, UCF. Another one. Another one. I mean, it's another one that UCF is getting out of the P5. And this was, this was before Harvey. And, you know, by the way, Harvey, uh, was reportedly got to campus on Monday and Mark's got to campus on Tuesday. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure they'll go through all the COVID protocols. They'll have to quarantine um, for a week, uh, and then hopefully they'll be able to join uh, join in on some team team activities. But with Deontay Marks, it's another like super, you know, super speedy outside weapon for for Josh Heupel's offense. I mean, this is a, a kid who ran in the 4.3 40 range in, in high school. And had a broad jump of 11 feet three inches, which, which went past the measuring board uh, <laughs> when he was when he was when he was going through physical skills. So, so, his, so his his broad jump is literally off the chart. Off the charts. It's literally off the charts. Yes. Uh, and and so you've got you know more speed, more athleticism at the at the wide receiver position, which you can never have enough of. Certainly, that fits in well with with UCF. Um, and you know, and with with guys like Jacob Harris. And Trey Nixon, Marlon Williams, Otis Anderson, too. Those four guys are all seniors. Um, so, I mean, we'll get into the eligibility discussion later. Um, but, you know, let's – in a normal year, those guys would be heading into their final seasons. So you need reinforcements. And, and you get Deontay Marks, uh, you know, a Florida commit. Um, and it's really the end of a, of a weird journey where he went from Florida, then said he was transferring to UCF, and then he pulled that back. And five days later, said he was transferring to Old Miss, and then he pulled that back, and now he's back at UCF. And I think this time it's for real, and it's to stay. Uh, Deontay Marks is officially back at UCF. Like he's he's committed to UCF a second time this summer. But anyway, this is how it went down. 
is let me ask you this like is the and and eric i want you to touch upon this too because are, are are you guys seeing this as just like a temporary thing because with the local kids coming back because of the virus or do you, or do you see that or do you see any potential uh for could could UCF become even more of a destination for local kids? i mean i know that um you know scott frost worked really hard in getting in trying to keep uh central florida kids here you know which it, it, much more to the extent than george o'leary did um you know i'm sure if o'leary was here to say to say you would say he would say so what, what would he always used to say about that right like uh, some of them they just want to they just want to leave right well you know they don't always want to leave george and um you know, could this be like uh an everlasting thing you know going forward uh especially if these guys work out well I'll just say up front, like in the case of Marx and Harvey, COVID played a direct imp- COVID played a direct role in both of their decisions to commit to UCF. Uh, you know, you know when when uh, Marx put out the, the the Instagram post that he was actually going to Ole Miss, uh, he changed his mind because according to his mother, uh, he wanted to actually play closer to home. You know, as a Deland high grad, he wanted to play closer to home for to have his mother see more games. Then certainly traveling right now uh, is not is not something you should be doing. So, you know, it'd be easier for his mom to see him play here instead of getting on a plane and going to Oxford. And the same thing with Harvey was his father said, you know, Virginia, Charlottesville, it's a long way away from from Orlando. And so, uh, in both those cases, COVID did play a an impact, did have a role in their decisions. Um, but could we all? Yeah, I think you could also say like. UCF wouldn't be in position to get either of these players, uh, you know, if not for what, you know, if not for the for the success, the success they've had, and 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 so this could be a trend going forward. That's what we talked about with Devon Wilson a few weeks ago. Was you know a four-star recruit that went to Georgia, one of the best cornerbacks in the nation. He's kind of the guy that he's one of the guys you could like. Wow, those kind of players, those highly highly touted recruits. Uh, look at UCF as a, as a place where they can go play and 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 ball out, and um, so I think this entire month has sort of been a, a good sign of where UCF sits, you know, among those like like the, you know as far as rec- attracting more P five talent. Not that they are they've already done that, but like now you can see like wow these guys are turning down you know offers and spurning schools that were in the you know spurning schools. Uh, in the power conferences to come to UCF because they know they can only play here, but they can succeed here and win here. But certainly the climate we're in right now also plays a role. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Murph. And I think Murph, you brought up the relationship standpoint. I think these coaches, we saw this in basketball with CJ Walker. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that the staff, you recruit this kid, you've built a relationship, even if you don't get the kid originally, Okay. Even if they go somewhere else, if they decide to transfer, I think that helps because, yes, you want to stay close to home. I think that's valid, but I don't think you would be staying close to home if you didn't know who the coaching staff was. So the fact you knew them, and I think Randy's obviously known some of these guys from his past days that obviously recruiting at Florida, going back that far, uh, among others. And then, you know. I think the relationship factor is, I think, plays a role in this. And, And I think it's not an accident that we've seen this. Uh, with UCF fair in football or in basketball, and honestly, in a majority of the sports, I think we also have to accept the fact this is part of college athletics now. 
this is not just something that's you know it's and, and, and I hope we remember this when people flip out in December every time a signing class is done and they're like <laughs> oh why are we why are we ranked so low why do we only have two stars it, because it does it's not as a big of a deal as it used to be because the finished product really won't be finished for weeks or months in advance because kids could be coming available that you might, you know, down the pipeline. I mean, there's multiple ways now to build rosters, especially if you're looking for something of a quick fix. And I think this applies to football here. And, and what we, you both have brought up the examples of the issues on the roster they might have uh, after this season, whenever this season gets played uh, more than likely will be taking place in 2021. And these pieces will address that even if they're not eligible for this season. And we are not even hundred percent sure Murph, they still, there's a chance they could be available this season. Could they not? They could be, we're all waiting on waivers for each of them. Uh, so they could be available, but yeah, I think in the long run, this was not about if they play in 2020 great. And like certainly UCF might need a cornerback or two. Uh, so they, you know, so if Devon Wilson especially gets a, gets a waiver, that'd be fantastic because he could play right away uh, with a, you know, as a kid with SEC experience from last year. But all four of these kids are underclassmen, and, and Wilson's the most experienced one, quote-unquote, as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, and, you know, they're all, they're all sophomores and freshmen. So this is not just 2020. This is about 2021, 2022, and, and building your for the future. Our uh, friend of the show, uh, Chris Vanini from The Athletic, tweeted earlier today, said, UCF, SMU, Houston, FAU, and FIU have all found success in grabbing P5 transfers, many of whom are kids looking to move back close to home. It's not a coincidence they're all in fertile recruiting areas. This is something that we've talked about for years with UCF, and it seems to be coming to fruition. I just wonder, you know, like you said, I, I, yeah, COVID-19 has a pretty clear impact on, on that. But I do wonder if... Once, you know, uh, you know, long term, if, if assuming things go back to some state of normalcy that, you know, especially if these guys do have success at UCF, that the word's going to get out that, hey, UCF is a place to be. Yeah, you could you can go to you can go to a place, you know, in the SEC or the ACC. Um, but those places are usually crowded. And if you're not going to get playing time there, you could get playing time somewhere else. Why not come back home? So I think that's. Like I said, if you're UCF, you just kind of have to. You, you're you might be you might not be the first choice, but you're probably going to be the last choice for some pretty talented kids out there. And I think that's um, that's not a bad place to be. Um, as far as UCF football is concerned for the upcoming season, I wanted to transition to this. So we got a little bit of data here. First of all, uh, FIU uh, six days ago. Uh, announced a delay of fall competition through September 16th. Obviously, UCF was scheduled to play FIU September 12th, so that is just that's not going to happen. So UCF's football schedule will not start with FIU. Uh, instead, as it looks right now, right this instant, UCF Wednesday uh, night. Wednesday night. Yeah, right. Uh, UCF's <laughs> first football game is uh, slated to be. Saturday, September the 19th at Georgia Tech. Um, and then they're scheduled to play the following Thursday at ECU. And the home opener would be against Tulsa on Saturday, October the 3rd. And we got some potential news on that a little bit later. But Hard subject to change, as they always say. And when you yes. go out to a subject yeah. to change. Now, 
you know, I will say before you continue, Jeff, that Danny White put out a statement last Friday saying that they expect right now for the first home game to be on that October 3rd against Tulsa. So if anyone's holding out hope that they can somehow fill something into that September 12th spot, uh, if they do, which I don't think they will, uh, it would be a road game at the very least. They will not play at home until October 3rd. Right. Um, in conjunction with that, well, not in conjunction, but coincidentally, um, the uh, the Georgia Tech uh, the Georgia Tech game. We got some news on that. Um, there was a little bit of stuff trickling out about you know what would Atlanta United and the, and the Atlanta Falcons do at Mercedes Benz Stadium. They had made their proposals to the city uh, city of Atlanta. Obviously, Georgia Tech being in the city also has to. Uh, make their plans known. And uh, uh, Georgia Tech announced earlier today that uh, for their safety protocols in place at Bobby Dodd Stadium, um, Georgia Tech will seat only 20% of the stadium's full capacity, uh, which works out to about 11,000 per game. I'll get the exact figure on Bobby Dodd uh, Stadium here. But, uh, But in addition to that, um, there, uh, they said, I, I think it was only 400 seats would be available for visiting teams. So it's 55,000 at Bobby Dodd's not a very, not a very, not a very big, uh, big stadium, of course, but, um, only 400 seats for UCF, uh, visiting teams will be allotted 400 tickets with, with designated seating sections. Uh, seats within those sections will be assigned at the discretion of the visiting institution. So, uh, good luck if you're one of the 400 UCF fans who will have Come the ability on. to attend UCF's opener at Georgia Tech. Well, this is what 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 are you what are you what are you going on and on about up there? Listen, we have we both shared Georgia Leary. Georgia Leary got in, it was announced it was going to be he's going to be inducted to the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame. All right, Brent Key is on their staff with Jeff Collins. They all came from UCF, and all we get is 400 tickets? Come on. Come on. Can we call George? Can George hook us up for a couple hundred more? Come on. Eric, it, it, Eric, it may actually not be – it may not It may not be – four. it's at least 400, but it probably is going to be more than 400 because – so the way Georgia Tech has set it up, as many schools will, is uh, you know among those 11,000 seats uh, available – the first batch will go to 2020 season ticket holders, those who have season tickets for 2020. And then there's another class of like not of like season ticket holders of Georgia Tech if you have what's called their Stinger Mobile Pass holders. Um, so basically two different types of like season ticket holders. And then if that doesn't that if that if those two people, those two sections of people alone, if that doesn't come to 11,000, whatever's remaining will turn into single game tickets released to the general public. So if you can't get one of the 400 tickets that UCF will be allotted, you could certainly look on the uh, on the market. There for you go. Now we're there. talking. Now we're talking. Well, it's in all seriousness, it is insane. The connections between these two schools is insane. It is insane. You know, you got Todd Stansberry, the former AD, is at oh, Georgia. I mean, it is kind of wild. And, and as we, if this game actually gets played, which I will believe it, it gets played when the kickoff actually happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. In fairness, like. There's a part of me that feels like, Jeff, we're going to be doing an emergency podcast and we're going to be calling Murph 
who's going to be stranded in the Atlanta airport waiting for a flight back because the game got canceled. Uh, well, I mean, the game, the game is exactly one month from today when we're recording this. Today's August the 19th. It's scheduled to be played on September the 19th. We have remember, a whole month remember, to figure this out. When, remember when I think we said last week that UCF's first game was a month from today, and that was the FIU game. <laughs> yeah, uh, it just keeps getting yeah, pushed so, back. Uh, we'll see. We'll, yeah, like we're going to see. I mean, as we talk, North Carolina is having campus issues with the virus. Notre Dame is paused in, in their situation. Who knows what the ACC is going to do if they right, decide still- to j- drop it to 10 games and cut the non-conference game. I still think that's on the table here at some point in the next few weeks. Are we still holding our breath that the a- ACC will go back to this, will start their season on the 26th, uh, sort of in line with the rest of the Power Three? I think that's still in play until, you know, we get to that date. I really do. I mean, that's their option. If they feel like they're behind, that could be a possibility. And, you know, the weird thing about UCF losing the FIU game, you know, I wrote about this right on Black and Go Banneret with our good friend Andrew, who chipped in on the article. And I proposed they went conference only with 10 games. And it's kind of funny now the way this is playing out. Had they done that, UCF would have gotten five home games. With the way it looks like right now, UCF's probably only going to end up with four home games this year. So I just wonder, I, I, I first guessed it at the time. I still am in the camp that believes they should have gone the 10 conference games only route. But, uh, you know, it could be all a moot point in a few weeks. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens with that schedule. Uh, but at least we know that uh, at least there'll be some UCF people in the stands if this game gets played, which uh, maybe will, maybe it won't. <laughs> Well, we're still also looking at the situation in Tulsa. There was some uh, yeah. there was some news on that today too, right, Eric? Yeah, I mean they got a spread over there as well. Yeah, they paused. Uh, according to Brett McMurphy, they paused football practice after eight players tested positive for COVID nineteen. Actually, it was uh, Kelly Hines of the Tulsa World who had it first, but a total of sixteen players now in quarantine. And uh, and that's it. That's it, Tulsa, which is already. So, by the way, they lost their AD. Uh, he's going he's, a job in the NCAA, yeah. Right, he's going to he's he's moving up to the NCAA's offices. Um, boy, I don't envy whoever comes in after him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so we're yeah. still so we're still again. This is just one of those things where we're just going to have to sit back and take it one day at a time. It's uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be weird, and it's going everything's going to be one literally one day at a time. Well, there's one thing we can guarantee. And that is UCF is practicing at this hour. That's right. As of Wednesday night, they are practicing. They are continuing to practice, Murph. So let's do this crazy concept and actually talk about the team, Um, (laughs) which, you know, you might as well if they're going to play in a month. And I know you're going to have some uh, interview availabilities coming up shortly and all that. So let me ask you this. Put the COVID stuff aside. What are some of the interesting things you're looking to learn and find out about this team right now as they begin practice has been practicing? Well, I think what we need and yeah, we should be able to talk to Josh Heupel on Thursday morning. So depending on when you listen to this, we, we will already have talked to Coach Heupel. But I think one of the things you want to you know find out is where your position battle is at. And certainly, you know, we thought we think there's some on the offensive line with their, you know, replacing uh, Jake Brown and, and Jordan Johnson. We knew about that back in uh, spring ball. So what are those looking like now? And, and so you know, that's a bit, I, I think that's a big part is, you know, what is, what is UCF's O-line five kind of look at, look like at this point. Um, and, and then just, you know, how is 
Dylan Gabriel coming along. And I know everyone's going to want to ask about Mackenzie Milton, too. Uh, and I'm sure you know, I'm pretty will. sure we're going to get absolutely nothing from them about that. <laughs> I, I think he'll I'm sure he'll speak on how you know proud and how amazed he is you know, at McKenzie's recovery. But I would not be holding my breath to hear that McKenzie has been cleared or anything like that. Um, but certainly, I think that I think the thing that I'm, I'm looking forward most, you know, tomorrow is is how the the offensive line is really shaping up, because that's really a position of concern. If there is one when you say like we lost, they lost a lot of, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of experience, a lot of quality players, quality play there. And they've got guys to fill in those roles. That's not an issue of, of depth or numbers. It's just how is that all panning out? Yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I'm always, I always laugh about these kinds of these situations with, you know, how how much are we really going to get from, and and the truth is like, we actually have a lot of news to ask about, you know, to, to coach Hypel, just as a lot of other members of the media have to ask, you know, want to ask about their coaches, but the coaches are kind of all full speed ahead right now. And, you know, I mean, how much do they really know? (laughs) Well, and the thing is, I wonder guys. How much? How are the reps going to be distributed? Because let's, if you move forward the season, and I, I think this is going to be the premise. Depth is going to be very important because yeah. you know, and we, and it's always been like, oh well, you know, you got to stay. You know, you never know. You got to have depth because of injury. Well, you got to consider the fact: what if one of your players and position players gets this virus? Now you, you know, you you might have to have guys uh, deeper on your depth chart that have to contribute more than you might expect. So how do you prepare those guys? I think is one of the interesting subplots about this, not to mention you're looking at a situation where you're going to be playing uh, more than likely in limited capacities throughout the season, whether it be at home or on the road, more than likely. How do you adjust to that? Because Murph, you were in Tulsa when UCF lost last season, and a lot of people felt that one of the issues they had there, there was no crowd, it was lousy weather, and they kind of played flat because there was no, you know, and some of these players have said they they get extra juice based on atmosphere, based on the crowd, especially at home in particular with the bounce house. So now all of a sudden you might have a situation where players have to adapt to that. Yeah, I don't. Well, firstly, I don't blame the Tulsa loss at any part on the crowd or the weather. I blame it because UCF shot themselves in the foot about 18 times uh, with penalties and bad mistakes. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think the point is is understood in terms of home games. I mean, you can see that even now with 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 like NBA teams playing on neutral courts. That sometimes these teams that you would think, you know, obviously they're if they're playing at home. You know, if the Lakers are playing at home against the Trailblazers, sorry, as I go to different sport, I don't think the Lakers, Lakers lose game one. But without that crowd there, it's hard to get yourself zammed up sometimes. Certainly UCF's crowd has, has been instrumental and certainly at, at times instrumental in this team's success. I don't think you would have seen them win um, maybe one, but maybe not both of those title games against Memphis, if not for the crowd. And right. I, 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 I honestly believe that. Um, but we all should, should mention, too, that we need to be on the watch out, watch for guys who will opt out. There have been a lot of college players who've already decided to opt out. We do know of two UCF Knights, uh, at least publicly, have opted out already. One of them is Devontae Dawson, a JUCO transfer who came in uh, this past winter, who was going to be scheduled to see snaps right away at, at reserve corner. Um, he has opted out due to COVID 19. And then Josh Kelly uh, released a YouTube video. Uh, shortly a, a, a while back saying he's going to opt out and he's actually also going into the transfer portal. Josh Kelly has been at UCF for a few years 
as a special teams player. Um, but will there be more? And I, I, I think there probably will be. So you need to be aware. That's another reason to develop depth. Um, and I think especially with, with Dawson out and maybe some things we're hearing about other guys who might opt out, depth in that, depth in that defensive secondary is going to be one thing that UCF really is going to lean upon this year. And uh, that's where you see a guy like Devon Wilson or Jaden Francois, if they can be, if they get those waivers, uh, could really impact this team right away. All right. Well, again, well, hopefully we'll get some answers tomorrow when you talk to Josh Eiffel. I know you have something on that um, to, uh, tomorrow. And by the way, by tomorrow, I mean Thursday on that as well. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on around the rest of college football and see um, what the – if, the, if we do end up going to a spring season, which we can't fully rule out at this point, and some have already done that, what might that look like? Well, we got some hints uh, earlier this week. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. All right. So... Right now, UCF, of course, is planning to play football in the fall, as are six conferences in the uh, in the major uh, in major college football and FBS college football. But there have been some rumblings about, you know, what if COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc on everybody? And if we have to move to the spring? Well, um, we've all been speculating. We've been speculating on this very show. In fact, Eric Lopez, right. About what a spring season would look like. Um, but earlier this week, we actually got a glimpse of what that might look like. And the first glimpse came from the SWAC, the Southwestern athletic conference, um, which is, uh, which is one half of, uh, of, of the two main conferences where HBCUs populate and, um, there they released their spring schedule. They they would play six conference football games, uh, and the kick weekend would uh, the uh, or the season would kick off the weekend of February twenty seventh, uh, and uh, it would end with the SWAC championship game on May the first. Their plan would be uh, they would take a break. During week three, the entire league would get a bye week. And interestingly enough, gentlemen, that's the weekend of the basketball championships, or at least well, when there's. They, that's why they're taking a week off. Yeah. So, uh, right. That's why they wanted to take the week off there. So they would play uh, a total of. Uh, <clears throat> they they have here scheduled a total of eight weeks, uh, including that one bye week. Uh, April 24th would be a would be an open day, and then the SWAC championship would be on um, May the 1st. Uh, so they have two bye weeks in there with um, uh, it slated into their schedule, or actually uh, uh, slated into their schedule. Uh, everybody would get two bye weeks, plus there would be a week off between the last regular season week and the, and the conference championship. Their counterparts, the MIAC, have also ju- actually just today, Wednesday, August 19th, released their schedule uh, for the spring, they would also start on February 27th, but end with, uh, but end on April 24th. Also with their championship game on May the 1st. The, uh, interestingly enough, the MIAC has never had a football championship game in its history, so this would be the first time that they actually do that, assuming everything goes, uh, goes the way it is. And by the way, 
Uh, this includes this would include both Bethune Cookman and Florida A and M, who use, whom UCF was scheduled to play um, earlier this year. So I guess that brings up some questions about the uh, the FAMU game, obviously. Although I think um, obviously FCS uh, is still letting st- is still letting some teams play in the fall, at least as of right now, if, so that they can collect a paycheck. We don't know whether or not that, that FAMU is still is officially playing as an independent right now in the fall and then possibly joining this conveniently joining the MIAC for the spring. But, um, you know, as of right now, there's still some question marks about that game with UCF, but at least we have a plan. Word came down uh, earlier Wednesday as well, that the big 10 is throwing around an idea for a, uh, a season uh, in the ostensibly in the spring semester. But Eric, you said this would more or less be an, a winter season. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think Ryan day, James Franklin have talked about starting as soon as possible, as soon as maybe January, maybe even December. Oh Could you imagine the weather in January in the big yeah, 10? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I knew that was going to be We're a gonna see some snowballs, baby, man. That's going to be, that's going to be some fun television, even if it's bad football. <laughs> well, I mean, it is just to get them in and I, I'm all for it. Uh, I think, and I got to be honest, don't you guys think Danny White secretly, if you asked Danny White secretly, he would be kind of for the spring football? I mean, he kind of even teased that. He said that on the radio uh, a few weeks, a few months ago about, hey, why not move to the spring where you maybe get more fans? And even in that press release, Murph, Friday, he kind of alluded to, hey, we could pivot to spring football uh, who never know or spring, at, you know, to the spring. So it wasn't like I, I think. I think there's people that would be for it secretly that probably are not saying it publicly. Uh, I'm all, f- I-, I think it'd be a positive, but you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, what in, terms of, in terms of Danny white, I think he has to say what he said in that statement, which was, you know, we could pivot to the spring because, and I don't think that, I don't think that's him. I don't think that's him saying like, that's what he would prefer, whether he, whether he might or might not, but he has to say that, right? Because we don't know right. what's going to happen. Right. I mean, everything could shut down in two weeks. And they would have to be, you know, they, they would be forced to pivot to the spring if, you know, if the students come back, which for UCF, uh, they will starting on mo- on Monday, uh, you know, and things get bad. Like, you know, maybe they have to shut it down if, if there's a breakout among the football team and, and whatever. So he I think he's just covering his bases there. I don't think he's any giving you any insight into what he's thinking. But, yes, we do know that Danny White has said, you know, that without fans. They're, they're looking at losing a lot of money. And oh, look, all programs across the nation, all universities are losing money this year. They would like to obviously host more fans because more fans mean more revenue and yada, yada, yada. We don't know. Obviously, we won't know until the time comes whether or not it's, you know, we're even able to host more fans uh, in, in in January or February than we can in October. Um, you know, and we, we, you know, like I, I know I say this every week, but we just don't know. Um, so, so we'll see, but, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see if, if, if schools actually follow through with this, like, like I say, like the MIAC and the SWAC have said, you know, then what becomes of summer practice and, and, and fall training camp and, you know, and, you know, like the big 10, like you said, wants to do winter football possibly like, then do we really call those kids back within a few months to go through another training camp and then another season that's possibly modified? I mean, how does this all work? It's all a work in progress, but you know, certainly there's a lot of options on the table. And another factor that actually creeps into this, and this came down uh, earlier on Wednesday as well, the NCAA Division One Council voted to recommend all athletes whose fall that's seasons are That's not official. Being, that's, that's not official. That is being reported. Official, they're, suppo- 
They're going to vote on it Friday. Okay. Uh, so it's something that we should look at. But their plan is uh, that any fall athletes whose uh, seasons were altered by the pandemic should get a year of eligibility back. Um, the council also recommended, this is according to uh, NBC10 in Boston, um, that the NCAA should pursue staging fall sports championships during the spring. No recommendation was made for the size of the fields and how they should be picked, which would ultimately determine whether conferences even choose to participate. This this is something we've been talking about might come down, and wow, here we are. Now, maybe maybe two days away, the 21st. We Remember they kicked the can down the road from August the 4th? And... Now we might have some movement on, you know, soccer, volleyball, field hockey, cross country. I know UCF doesn't play field hockey, but some schools in the American do. Um, what do you think they're going to do on Friday, Eric? I think they're going to announce that they're going to have the, the fall championships move to the spring. I think it's going to be limited. I think it's and when I mean limited, I think it's going to be instead of a 64 team field. I think it's going to be 32 teams. I think the automatic bids will be gone for this year because I think the NCAA and Mike Emmerich has said this uh, in a recent interview that I think they want they might go the predetermined sites. So that way to kind of have a bubble, if you will. So I think that's why you might see the tournament shrink to 32. But I think they're going to say the fall championships, we will play them in the spring. But I think it, and I think the other reason they're going to move the championships to a 32 team field, because I think they're also going to acknowledge everybody's playing a shortened season and we're just trying to get through it. And that's why you're, we're going to give you all an extra year of eligibility because we know that you're not going to be happy with a shortened season. So that's okay. You could still play the shortened season and keep your eligibility that extra year, which might prevent some coaches from redshirting people or pause to wonder if, like, do we even want to participate? So we should get more clarity on this on Friday, thankfully. And I think that'll help the programs you know, to decide what they want to do moving forward. And I think the other question that brings up is if they move the fall championships to the spring, are they going to allow the current six conferences that are still intending on playing Olympic sports in the fall to continue that plan and play in the fall? Or do those six conferences decide to move it to the spring? And there's, I've heard mixed things about that. I've heard some might play it because the conferences want those Olympic sports to be played in the fall. So they don't look bad from an optic standpoint that they're trying to play football without Olympic sports. Uh, so they might say, look, we could play Olympic sports, so we should justify playing football. Uh, some have thrown that out there. Some might say that they might just go ahead and move it to the spring. So we'll see. But I think we'll start getting some answers on that uh, after Friday. This is the right call on the eligibility, though, right? I mean, don't you think? I mean, it, it, the, the, the hard part is going to be, do the coaches are the coaches actually going to be able to find the room with incoming freshmen? Right. Well, this is the exact same scenario that we found spring sports in with baseball and softball is, OK, well, the the seniors, the seniors who come back and get an extra year, you know, they, they would not count against the term limits, the team limits of roster count. But they probably also wouldn't be on scholarship or maybe they will get a partial scholarship. And 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 so it's, it's, it's the same sort of arithmetic that the spring sport coaches had to deal with at one point of clarification. The D1 Council did make a decision today. It wasn't just reported. It did happen. But the D1 Council doesn't have the final say on this. It's the Board of Directors has a final say on Friday. Okay. The D1 Council made the recommendation, and the Board of Directors are expected to act upon that recommendation on Friday. Uh, there, there's no reason to believe that they would not. Uh, that, you know, They're going to most likely say, you know, yes, there's going to be a full year of eligibility. 
for for all full sports athletes, no matter how much you play this year, whether it's a no season or a half season or a full season, and if you're a senior coming back, you would not count against the, t- the term limits of your uh, of the team, the number of or the roster limits of your team. But you would also would not be if you if the school could also decide to not offer you any financial aid as well as a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be that's going to come on Friday, uh, barring a massive upset. I'll, I'll also mention too. I thought that was important. Maybe it's probably under the radar, but it's important that the Student Athlete Advisory Council today recommended that the that the first Tuesday in November after November first, otherwise known as Election Day, uh, be be a day where athletes uh, get the day off from athletic activity so they can focus on voting, and not just this year in a in a, a national election year, but every year going forward. Now, th- now if you have games scheduled on November third of this year. Those remain on the schedule as is, but basically, as, as, if, that, if that is passed by the council, the D1 council next month, I believe September 18th is the, is the date of that meeting, then effective immediately, all D1 athletes would then have no athletic activity on November, well, be November 3rd for this year, and then on election day in November for every other year going forward for D1 athletes, and I think that is extremely important. I, I, I commend that step. It's it's we don't stress it enough, but to get younger people to vote more is never a bad thing. Please vote. Not not just to vote, but also the opportunity to get involved in the process more, you know, working yeah. uh, working at poll stations. I know we've seen a lot of sports venues that have opened that are going to open up as um as uh, as voting stations um uh, throughout the country, so I agree with you. I think that's I think and, that's an excellent gesture. If only we could get election day to be a national holiday, wouldn't that be a oh, good idea? What a pipe dream, isn't it? Uh, or maybe on a weekend. No, we can't do that either. Um, can't do that. But either. also, I should mention that Johnny Dawkins was ahead of this, as many many coaches were around the nation. But Johnny Dawkins, especially, he said back in June that they were going to uh, basically call off all athletic uh, practices or athletic activities on election day of this year to allow their students to participate in the process of, of voting. Uh, and then he said that back a few months ago. So uh, nothing new for USA men's basketball, but to have that, uh, you know, across D1, across all fall sports and all fall sports athletes, it's very important. Right. So this is, it's good news. So we're, we're going to wrap up on uh, some, uh, some good news as well to finish. Um, we have playoff taco. Oh my. Taco fall. Got Hold on for the butts. hold. Yes, hold hold on to your knickers, folks. Um, <laughs> Taco Fall uh, got in for the Boston Celtics today uh, on Wednesday night in their blowout win over uh, Philadelphia in the uh, first round of the playoffs. Scored three points, pulled down one rebound. UCF uh, put up a graphic saying uh, Taco is the first night to play and to score. In the NBA playoffs. Now, technically, that's true, considering that Taco Fall completed his eligibility uh, at UCF. I should We should note, however, that Joey Graham, who played for UCF before transferring with his twin brother, Stephen, to Oklahoma State. Uh, later on, Joey Graham played for the Toronto Raptors and did play and score in the playoffs so technically, Taco is not Ooh. the first player only, who played we, basketball for Ooh. UCF to play and score in the NBA playoffs. But he is the first, uh, I guess you can say the first graduate of UCF yes. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a fact. Listen, we only we only like transfers to come to us. We don't address transfers that leave us. All right, get get it get it get it straight. All right, go oh, Taco. I got, I got it straight. All right, believe me. <laughs> Taco so. Fall could be the first UCF to win an NBA championship ring. Celtics looking pretty good. I, why did he have to go to the Celtics? Why? Jason Tatum. I. Golly, he couldn't he couldn't have gone to, to a more fun team, you know, like he you know, couldn't have gone to the Sixers or the Clippers or something like that. That would have been that would have been a lot more fun. Anyway, I'm anyway, I, I'm, I don't want to. By the way, Taco, Taco Fall, I'm happy one play. Yeah, damn right. One more. I'll give you one more stat. Taco Fall, one playoff appearance. Zion, zero. Booyah. <laughs> Who gets- you knew that was going. By the way, um. Did you see the Did you see the video they released of Taco's uh, uh, mask that he was wearing around the around the bubble? Yes, that LED yeah. Super Mario Brothers thing. I need that thing. It's amazing. I need I mean, that thing. I want to know how he got it. <laughs> it is. It's like a light bright of Super Mario on his face. It's. Uh, it's, it's what tremendous. I, what I want to know is like, is is that the only pattern it can come up, it, it can show, or can you like plug it into your computer via USB and like put a message up or something, or get like a sports logo or something <laughs> on there? I mean, I, I need to know this. Can he like put up trash talk, like like vulgarities on his face as he's guarding someone? Like they not, look at him. And just, well, he's not. No, he's not wearing it on the floor. Oh, I mean, okay, all right, fine. No, he's he's wearing it while walking around, you know, the Grand Floridian. It's great. So, I, yeah, like I said, I need this. somebody please send this to us as soon as they can. Um, all right, that'll wrap it up for uh, tonight, Eric. Uh, I'll start with you. What are you working on this week? We got the uh, top ten coaches coming in. That is right, which was voted by our staff. So you guys mentioned elections and voting. We did that on our poll. Voting. I would say we were we all consulted one another on this. We're all. It was very heated, very passionate. Uh, so, uh, very, a lot of curse words were used and I'm sure that some of our audience will be cursing us when the list comes out, but that's okay. That's the beauty of it. So yes, that'll be coming out, uh, the top 10 there. Plus we'll have obviously all the coverage on the Friday, uh, post Friday on when the, the officially the status of fall championships and what does it mean for UCF athletics for volleyball, for men's soccer, women's soccer and cross country. What does it mean? We'll have that over the weekend. As soon as we get this, finally, officially all the details of what they have planned for the fall championships and for the fall teams in general. Yeah. So we're going to be monitoring that. They'll kick that can down the road one more time. What do you say? Well, well no, they can't. I mean, that's it. I mean, they oh, got yeah. <laughs> I mean, they cannot. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, games start otherwise. Like, people move. You got to let them know, hey, go ahead. Don't play. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm. Never underestimate the NCAA to screw up something that that, that they made the rules to. Anyway, uh, Murph, what you got? Guys, Dylan Moore has been in a bit of a slump. but Oh, boy. He did have a three-hit game a couple nights ago. His slash line is still robust, 290, 385, 36. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's still looking pretty, I, I, I love following this. Um, I, and by the way, Drew, we should mention that Drew Butera had a two run double. I know that probably means nothing to anybody except me. Um, yeah, you've been, yeah. Take that Murph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. and we're still waiting for Bo Taylor to get a hit, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but Bo, we're pulling for you, but come on, make it happen. 
man, it's been fun to uh, to, to watch Dylan Moore um, continue to prove himself a little bit in the two hole uh, for a Mariners team that we all kind of knew was not going to be very good, and they're not. And that's not. Let's give an applause to Chad Matola and the Red Hot Rays who are taking whooping on the Yankees, exposing the frauds that the Yanks are. Chad Matola, the hitting coach, the race hitting Garrett Cole and Yankee pitching, huh? How about that? Wow, this is really offensive now. I don't know what I just <laughs> up Eric. I think uh, Eric. I don't, uh, I just, I don't Brian, let's I, let's just delete this part of the podcast. So uh, this will be there. Uh, uh, but obviously, yeah, we we'll talking to Hypel on Thursday. See what comes of that, and um, and uh, we'll see. And we're hey, we're all playing day by day, so uh, we'll see what pops up on Friday over the weekend and the next week. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. By the way, the Rays are fifth in the majors right now, and team on base percentage. I just wanted to give a shout out to Chad Matola. Yeah. 12th, in, 12th in the majors in batting average, but fifth in on base. I think they're like top two runs scored. I think it's them and the Dodgers have been back and forth as far as runs scored. I could be, I haven't seen the latest numbers, but uh, scored runs. I got it pulled up right here. They are th- tied for third with the San Diego Padres uh, for uh, total runs scored. One back of the Yankees. Um, but the uh, uh, the Rays have scored 127 runs. The Yankees scored 128. Uh, the Dodgers lead the majors with 141 runs scored. So, well, we all know the Dodgers will choke at the end, right, Murph? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, I don't want to say anything. Don't, don't 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 give him that layup. That's that's just uh, too. Oh. Funny. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Don't forget to uh, keep an eye out for um, all the content we've got coming uh, this week as we wind our way toward potentially a football season. And of course, like Eric said, uh, keep an eye out on Friday uh, when the Division One Council meets uh, and the board of directors. Uh, and we'll see. Gosh, we'll see what happens. We're gonna. I feel like we're kind of tiptoeing into this thing, right? Like, okay, all right. Well, here we go. <laughs> so, um, continue to stay safe out there. Wear your masks, and as always, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast for Eric and Brian. I'm Jeff. We'll see you next week.